Well, we've done it. We've, uh, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't have led with that, eh? What I meant was, we've come to the end of the series. <laughs> we have been doing this series called Fact-Checking Scripture, some of the most misquoted Bible verses. Um, looking at interpretations, like, is the interpretation we give a verse, is that maybe the one that the Bible's actually talking about? And by the end of today, we'll have done five weeks of this series, and I hope you've not just enjoyed it, I hope you found it a little bit helpful, right? I hope when you guys read scripture on your own, that if you just see a verse by itself, or if on social media someone, you know, uses a Bible verse as a proof text for something, I hope you remember things like, there's often more to the story, and context is everything, Context is everything. You know, it's just so easy. It's too easy to just to take a verse and make it say what you want, right? I don't know if you've seen it throughout this series, but you can take a verse, you can pull it away from what the Bible says around it, and you can make verses say whatever you want it to say, almost. People that love the Bible do this, but people that don't love the Bible can also do this. People that, you know, have a an axe to grind with Christianity or the Bible, you know, they can, on the internet, you can find verses taken out of context that they use to make the Bible look really ridiculous, really outdated, a bunch of nonsense. That's why context is so, context is so important today. I don't want us to be intimidated as we read the Bible for ourselves. Um, Yes, the Bible is a complex book. Any amens there? Have you ever felt like it was complex? Like this, it's not easy at times, but I'm so thankful that God, like, he speaks to us through it. Melissa was sharing with me, she, a friend on Facebook, they were putting out their nativity set, and I don't know if you've ever put out a nativity at this time of the year. We got one at the back here. But this nativity set was different. As you can see, it doesn't look like our traditional nativity set. Why is it different? Well, This nativity set was got on a missions trip to Sierra Leone, in Sierra Leone, which is a country in West Africa. And you know, I've seen a lot of nativities in my day, but I've never seen one quite like this. You know, the the stable is often, when I see it, it's portrayed as like a wood building or something, but this is like a grass hut. Interesting. The people, you'll notice the characters in this in this thing, their, their skin color is a lot darker than I have honestly seen a lot of nativities. And I bring up this picture because I love it, because it shows of what great diversity there is in the body of believers, people that call themselves Christians. And you know, the Bible, to my knowledge, is the most translated book in all time. It's been translated into more languages than any other piece of writing. And even though it's translated into many languages and cultures, even though all our cultures are very different from one another, whether we are in Canada right now or whether we are in Sierra Leone, God wants to speak to us through the Bible. And he does speak to us. And so I don't want us to be discouraged today because in spite of all the culture, in spite of the complexities of this book, he still wants to speak to us today. We just have to keep a couple things in mind. Back in 
Bible college, we had to take a class on how to study the Bible, which, you know, seems like a pretty good class to take, um, considering I'm up here most weeks talking about the Bible. Um, and I remember the textbook we had. It was called Grasping God's Word. And in that textbook, the author gave five questions to ask ourselves when reading scripture, five questions that'll help us stick to maybe, hopefully, what God is actually trying to say and hopefully so that we don't read our own worldviews and interpretations into the, into the scriptures. So they give us these five questions and I wanna go through these questions with you guys because it's our last week in this series and the first question we have to ask ourselves when coming to scripture is, what did it mean to the original audience? We don't really go to this question very often, right? We go to the, the question that we care about, which is, what does it mean to me, right? But in order to know what it means to me today, we have to think about, I wonder what it meant to them. And of course, we're gonna have to be a bit of a detective here. We're gonna have to investigate a bit because there's a lot of thousands of years of history in between us. They're all dead from the people that originally heard these words. And so we might have to look to experts. We might have to look, do some Google searches or something to get an idea of what the original audience would have thought when they read these verses. The background is so important. This first question. Second question is, once we've got this figured out or have worked on it, what are the differences between them and us? The original audience and us today, right? Maybe, maybe the differences is, that verse was written in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and now we're in the New Covenant. That's a difference. Maybe that verse was written to Jewish people, and maybe we're not Jewish people. That could be a difference. Maybe the difference is uh, 2,000 years of cultural differences. We have to ask ourselves and think about what could be possibly the differences between them and us, because that's going to help us with this next question. And the third one is, what is the timeless truth? Timeless. Meaning, what is God saying through a passage that it's the same for you and for me, it's the same for someone in Sierra Leone, it's the same for, as it is for us in Canada, it's the same as it was 2,000 years ago as it, was, as it is for us today now. What is the timeless truth? You know, sometimes the timeless truth can be very obvious. It's just right there in Scripture, and so you just do what it says. But sometimes the takeaway, the application isn't always so obvious. For instance, you may know this, but in the Gospels, there's a story where Peter and the disciples are in a boat at night, and they look out across the water, and it looks like Jesus is walking on the water to them. And Peter, you know, the guy who, for better or for worse, you know, acts first, thinks later. I don't know if we have any of those in this room today. But he says, Jesus, if it's really you, Call to me and let me walk to you across the water. And probably to much to everyone's surprise, Jesus says, okay, come, come Peter, right? And Peter walks on the water, nothing short of a miracle. But here's the thing. The literal application to that passage of Jesus saying, come, was Peter, get out of the boat, walk across the water. For you and I, I don't know if the best application is for us to go find a lake somewhere and to try to walk across water, literally. So we have to ask ourselves in a, in, a, in a passage like that, so what's the timeless truth? What's the truth there for everyone? I can think of a couple things, things like faith, like 
trusting in God even when things don't make sense, even when you don't understand, but God is telling you to do something, that story tells me about faith, trusting in him. Another thing I could think of is a timeless truth may be always keep your eyes on Jesus, even in our storms of life, right? What is the timeless truth? Fourth question is, does this truth fit with the rest of Scripture? Does it fit? I'll say this, God doesn't contradict himself. So if we feel like God is saying a certain thing in the scriptures, but in other scriptures it completely contradicts it, we should take a step back and say, hmm, maybe, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board and listen a little more to the Lord on this one. A good principle here is to let scripture interpret scripture. Let the broader collective of scripture interpret those individual verses that we come to. And then when we've done all this, then we come to our fifth question, which is the question that we all care about and is how should Christians today live out this truth? This is where the rubber hits the road. How does this apply to my life right now? Those five questions, I know it can seem maybe a little bit overwhelming or um, a little intimidating to have those questions and to think about those questions when you're reading the scripture. But here's the thing. If you even think a little bit about these verses when you're reading scripture, you're gonna be leaps and bounds ahead of many people. Because most of us, let's be honest, we never even think about these, these questions. It may seem like a lot, but I wanna just encourage you. Put some of these questions in the back of your mind as you're reading scripture. There's a, there's a statement out there. I think you all know it. I got it up here. It says, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and feed him for a lifetime. We have gone through five, by the end of the day, we'll have gone through five verses in this series. And each of those verses, I have you know, gone away for the week, I've kind of done my homework as best as I could, and I've come back and basically presented to you what I feel God is saying through this passage, what they originally meant to say. In a way, each week I've come and I've given you all a fish, so to speak. And by the end of the day, there'll be five fishes, but do you know how many verses are in the entire Bible? 31,102. 31,102 Bible verses from Genesis to Revelation. Did I say we went through five? We went through five. And honestly, I tell you these five questions that we went through because I know that long after you forget anything I talked about with those five verses, if you could write down and think of those five questions, long after you've forgotten what I talked about, you will still be able to now go off and read scripture for yourself, and with the aid of the Holy Spirit and hopefully a whole lot of humility, you will be able to discern and read and discover what God is actually saying. And so today, one last time, I want to give you guys another fish, another verse, but this time I wanna show you, I wanna go through those questions as we look at this verse to show you after this Sunday, you guys can start and continue to do this. You guys can learn how to fish, so to speak, if we're using that analogy. And so today, last, last verse today comes from the words of Jesus. 
in his most famous sermon that he probably ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And our, our text today is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Perhaps you've heard something like that before. We all judge, don't we? Let's be honest. We all judge from time to time, maybe even a lot. I read a story once where there was, this was years ago, there was this pastor or clergyman, and he was heading across to Europe from North America, and back then he had to take a ship, right? He had to take a steamship to get there. And so he, he checks in at the boat, they take him to his cabin where he's going to be for the duration of the voyage, and he has a roommate for the whole time. He's got to be with a roommate. And so he meets his roommate just in passing when he's looking over his cabin, and then he goes, and t- he goes to a crew member, on this ship, and he says, excuse me, and he says, I'm wondering, is it okay if I leave my valuables with you in the, in the, in the ship's safe? And the crewman says, of course, of course you can leave your valuables with us in the safe, that's, that's why we provide it, so that you feel safe, that your valuables are taken care of. And then the pastor said, you know, normally, normally I wouldn't ask, but he said, when I went in to see my cabin and I met the other roommate, I took one look at him and, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to trust him in leaving my valuables in the room with him alone. And the crewman says, of course, I totally understand, pastor. And yet, actually, your roommate has already come to me and given me his valuables because he had the same concern about you. (laughs) We all judge, don't we? We all judge. And sometimes we look at this verse and we think, you know, that's the be-all, end-all of, of judging. Christians and judging, Christians never to judge, ever. That's what it says. And I have often heard this verse used in two different ways. The first time I've, used, I've heard it used is, have you ever been caught doing something that doesn't make you look very good? I'm just picturing, you know, sitting at the table with a tub of ice cream and just eating right out of it, and then... You know, when you didn't want it to happen, someone walks into the kitchen and they see you and your eyes lock and they're looking at you, you know, that stare of what are you doing? And you're just like, don't see this. And sometimes what you'll say is, what? Don't judge me, right? Have you ever said, don't judge me? Sometimes it's how we use this, this idea that we're not supposed to judge people. Other ways I've heard it used are, I've heard Christians sometimes say, you know, well, we're, we're not supposed to judge people. We're just, we're just supposed to love them. And that's true. That's true. But sometimes when people say, you know, we're not supposed to judge people, we're supposed to love them, sometimes what's also implied is that as Christians, we should never make any judgment calls on what is good or bad. Like we should never call out any kind of destructive behavior or anything because Christians don't judge after all. You know, that's what, that's what the Bible says. Judge not and you will not be judged. Is that the entirety of the message? Sometimes we think that is the one verse talking about judging and that's all that matters. But here's the thing. Jesus judged people, did he not? He called people out. And you could say, well, yes, but he's God. So he can do that. And uh, okay. But Paul 
told people to judge people. Like if you've ever read some of his letters to the church, he can be quite strong in telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing. In fact, in this passage, which we're gonna read in Matthew 7, in a few verses later, Jesus is actually telling the people how they are to judge people. So maybe there's more of a nuanced understanding of this verse than initially meets the eye. And if we want to understand what that nuance is, we do what we do every week. And what is that? We read the context. So let's do that today. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of your speck in your eye and when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. That last verse may seem a little strange. Like what, what, What's it saying? Essentially, it seems in context that Jesus is saying, you know, sometimes even when you have pulled the log out of your own eye, um, some people can't bear you correcting them or calling them out at all. And sometimes in those cases, it's best just to move on and walk away. Judging. That's what it says here. Do not judge. You know, that word judge, often we use it so negatively, don't? Like, we say, don't judge me. Like, as if it's like, don't look down on me. Don't think you're superior than me. Don't have a holier-than-thou attitude. We use it negatively so often. But you know, judging can be good. It can mean just to evaluate, to discern, to analyze. And the reality is, we make judgment calls on people all the time. All the time. If you were to ask me, Dave, who would you recommend as a mechanic? I go through a list of people, right? And there are some that have a good reputation and some not so much. And when I tell you whatever my answer is, I've made a judgment call for good or for bad on that. If, if a pastor from our Kentville location said, Dave, who in your congregation can do this thing? We need this certain skill set or gifting. And I go through a list in my head of people that I think might be good at something. I'm making a judgment call. I could be wrong, but we judge, and judging is not necessarily bad all the time. So what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? Well, let's look over those five questions again. Let's, and I'm, I'm going to have to be quick because it might seem like I'm not taking the time I need, but when you do this yourself, take some time and don't just rush through it. But the first question when we think of this passage is, what did it mean to the original audience. What did it mean? The more familiar you get with the Bible, the easier it will be to think of other passages and try to put pieces together. And I'm just going to highlight one, ver one word in this passage. And there's a word that stood out to me that may help us know some of the original audience and what they were thinking. Is, is that word hypocrite? You ever heard the word hypocrite? You know what a hypocrite is? Someone, you know, who makes rules for others but doesn't follow them themselves. And Jesus, did you know, 
he called one group of people especially hypocrites and was not scared to do so. And it was this, these Jewish leaders, we call them the Pharisees, the scribes. And in another place, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And I just want to read a few verses from, from Matthew 23. And it says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease their burdens. He goes on, if you want to see Jesus get mad, read Matthew 23. He goes on basically to say, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You know, you love the best places at the banquet dinner. He says, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. Woe to you, he says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside, but you're just a bunch of dead bones on the inside. He said, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with lying, hypocrisy, and lawlessness. Hypocrites. I'm wondering today when Jesus was saying in our passage, don't be a hypocrite. I wonder if the people would have heard those words and thought of some of their religious leaders in their life. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't judge people the way that you have seen it done so often by even maybe your religious leaders original audience. You can stay there for a long time, but we're going to move on. What is number two? What is the difference between us and them? Well, I can think that, for one, none of us today are 2,000, are living 2,000 years ago in Roman-occupied Israel. People in religious authority, they were why, or they were viewed with respect back then. Not so much today. There's a lot of differences that we can think of, and you could go on and on, but let's go to question three. Timeless truth. What is the timeless truth in this passage? Some things haven't changed, have they? One of the things I can think of is human nature. Hypocrisy is alive and well, isn't it? It, it hasn't died out just because, you know, the Pharisees don't exist anymore as an official group. Hypocrisy is alive and well, and let's be honest, it is alive and well in our own hearts from time to time. How many times have you said, you know, said to God, God, you're my everything. You're my top priority. And then we go out and we look back over our week and realize we've spent next to no time with God. How many times have we said, you know, sang a song and said, God, I trust you, I trust you, and then we just go back out and start worrying again. How many times? How many times have we promised God something and said, God, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm following you. I'm not doing the thing I used to do. And we just end up going back and doing the same thing again and again. Hypocrisy is alive and well, and sometimes the scary thing is it's often alive and well in our hearts. But positively, 
What else is timeless about this passage? Well, a couple things that I can think of, and I'm not saying these are the be-all, end-all, and that they're not others, but one of them would be something like, maybe Jesus is saying today for us to judge fairly as people. Verse 2, For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Jesus wants us to judge fairly. Remember, when you judge someone... By whatever measuring stick you're using, it's going to be, are you okay with it being measured back on you? Second thing would be, not just judge fairly, but judge with humility. Verse 5, he says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. First, first we have to be humble enough to recognize that we got some issues And the question is, it takes a lot of humility to recognize that, are there any logs in my eyes right now? To first deal with and work through and be in the process of working through some of your own stuff before being very quick to point out the sins in others. You know, I've felt like that the more we have worked on our own stuff, the more help and benefit we're going to be to other people. Judge humbly, judge fairly. Does this agree with scripture? Number four, our fourth question. Does this truth fit with scripture? Now you're gonna have to just trust me here on this one because I don't have time to go through every book of the Bible and show you what scripture says, but does God say that we should judge people fairly? That's a pretty consistent principle. For instance, in Leviticus it says, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Judge fairly. What about judging with humility? Philippians says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now we come to the fifth question. Okay, so what does all this mean for us today? I have two questions of reflection for us. When you find yourself judging people for good or for bad or just find yourself going there, a really important question to think about is this next one. Where's my heart at? Like what's going on in my heart as I'm judging that person? Is it, is the, and you gotta be really honest with yourself because you know, let's be honest. We sometimes lie to ourselves better than we lie to other people. Like, we believe things. You know, we believe, oh, my heart's right. I have a good motivation, but really, the root is always sometimes not so good. Where's my heart at? Is it coming from a place of jealousy? Is it coming from a place of bitterness, anger, frustration? Or when I'm judging someone, is it coming from a place of actually caring for the other person? Like, I want them to succeed in life. I want them not, I I don't want this issue to trip them up. Where's my heart at? Let's be honest with ourselves when we are judging people, even if it's just in our minds. Is my heart in the right place when I'm doing this? Second question we need to think of is, am I aware of any logs in my eyes, to borrow Jesus' term, that I need to work through first? That takes humility. Sometimes we often 
Sometimes we measure people to a higher standard than we even measure ourselves to. And the question is, are we humble enough to, to realize that, yeah, we all have our issues, right? We all have things in our life, but are we, are we working through them? Are we correcting and speaking into other people's lives knowing that, hey, I don't have this all figured out as well? I find so much of judging is about attitude. What is your attitude and motivation? So to sum up this passage, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge. What is he saying? In context, he's saying, don't judge like a hypocrite. Don't be hypocritical. Don't judge people feeling self-righteous, being arrogant, being proud, but instead, if you're gonna judge people, judge humbly. Judge from a place of being self-aware. Judge from a place of wanting the best in that other person. I'm hoping today that even when it comes to how we judge people, we can be different as believers in Jesus, right? Some of us, where we have worked, maybe we have to fire some people. I don't know if anyone here has ever had to fire someone. That's not always easy, is it? And often it's kind of a judgment call saying, you're not a good fit at our company or whatever it is. But I'm wondering, even if, say, we had to fire someone or if we had to have a difficult conversation with someone, what if we approached it fairly and humbly like Jesus? And people would say, like, even in the difficult conversations of life, you are different. There's something different about you. So there we have it. Our five verses that we have gone through misquoted often there's often more to the story and now that we're done our series my hope is that as we go away and as we read scripture for ourselves is that maybe next time we're reading a verse and wondering what it means that we will run it through maybe those five questions that we will ask ourselves hmm what's going on here really because then we're going to be able to search out the scriptures then we're going to be able to hear what God is saying better and more clearly because God wants to speak to us today. He wants to speak to you through, through the scriptures. If only, if only we will listen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that even in spite of all the differences in culture and how complex it is, that you still are speaking Holy Spirit through it. And I'm praying, God, that as we, as we read it, the Bible on our own, as we ask ourselves, hmm, what does this actually mean? That we would be at our heart seeking to know what you are actually saying and not just maybe what we want to read into it or what we want it to say, but that we'd be humble enough to say, God, what are you saying through your word today? Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and to, to listen and obey whatever you are speaking to us through your word. Thank you for it. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us as we read it. Amen.